Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, October 31st. Happy Halloween, everyone. And I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max, and, and neither of us could get out trick-or-treating tonight uh, for obvious reasons now. Far, much too old for that, but we do have the time briefly here to to talk uh, some sports on the pod. So, yeah, happy Halloween to everyone. And Max, how's it going, my friend? Pretty well. I spent the last two days just recovering from working five days straight my body's not been like awful sore but just sore in weird ways like I turn over a way that's unusual and my legs are like really feel powerless so I've been pretty happy to do very little these past two days but uh that's afforded me plenty of time in front of the screen which I think has been put to good use for tonight so I'm looking forward to that Lovely, lovely. Can't wait to hear your insights from the weekend. Um, yeah, it's it's a different experience Halloween now that uh, A, out of that childhood phase, but also B, still the slight hesitation there to partake in group activities. And so, uh, yeah, definitely a weird one, but hopefully next year things will be back to normal and get to recreate that full Halloween experience again. So you're doing your best via Zoom in the meanwhile. Yeah, if anyone is watching, I've put on a little Zoom filter here, uh, doing my best pirate impression for the podcast. You got to be in the spirit. You got to be in the spirit. Hey, whatever gets you going. They really tried to sell that on the ads I saw for NFL weekend, like spooky weekends, like terrifying <laughs> game matchups. I, I wasn't really buying it. I don't know how that played out. Yeah. Game day. Uh, some of the matchups were spooky for sure in terms of the point differential. Uh, and definitely a big spook of all, I guess, as we jump into our week preview or our weekend recap, is the New York Jets pulling off the scariest move of the weekend and shocking and frightening Bengals fans who were riding so high last week after a convincing blowout of the Ravens number one seed in the AFC they go and they lose in New York to the woeful Jets Mike White that's a real NFL quarterback if not a made-up name his first NFL start throws for over 400 yards catches a two-point conversion on the Philly special that they recreated and New York has the game of their lives to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, the ultimate trap game and betters loaded up on Cincinnati this week and all sorts of action. So that is a big one. As I mentioned last week for all of the bookmakers to make all of their money back is a big one for them this week. Yeah. So scary times. I think the Buccaneers and the chargers are also experiencing some fright. The Chargers actually just losing now to the Patriots at home uh, as of like two minutes ago. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting a late touchdown. They are now trying to stop the Saints who are driving just down one point here late in the game. So it could be a couple of upsets to cap off the afternoon slate in the NFL. But a couple other games that stood out earlier in the day, uh, the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans have a showdown to remember for first in the AFC South. And this game goes to overtime somehow. 
after Carson Wentz throws just a brutal interception, avoiding getting sacked for the safety, gets caught, returned for a touchdown. Tennessee goes up seven. Then Carson Wentz throws this bomb, uh, gets called for pass interference at the one-yard line. The Colts punch it in, send it to overtime. But in the end, they can't come through. And the Titans, three really signature wins now in a row. And their reward for that is getting to go and play the Los Angeles Rams next week. So um, a really brutal schedule in back-to-back-to-back-to-back weeks for Tennessee, but three big wins. And now they are firmly in the driver's seat in the AFC South. Another AFC South team uh, that had not the best afternoon, but interesting on the, uh, the gambling side is the Houston Texans, who are down 38 to nothing going into the fourth quarter and managed to cover a 16 and a half point spread. So for all Houston betters who thought that line was too big, an unbelievable cover to save your day if you lost a ton of money on Cincinnati. <laughs> um, that was a big one for them. And that one ends up winning out mostly for both sides because a lot of people had the Rams and teases or money line parlays, et cetera. But the Houston Texans still managed to cover that massive spread somehow getting it late. Um, really tough beat if you were Rams better on the spread, but I don't know if we had a ton of those because most people were moving that line in their favor. Another team that got blown out and did not cover and this is really like a dagger in the heart game on their season is the Detroit Lions who now drop to 0 and 8. They get smashed by Philadelphia. Who's not a great team. 44 to six. They could not stop Jalen hurts. They couldn't stop anyone. Um, and that's just, it's a tough, tough loss for them. Everyone pegged them as this is the game they were going to win to really try and avoid getting closer and closer to that 0-17 season, which has never been done. But the Lions have gone 0-16 before. Uh, so this is an organization that has felt a lot of pain, and they continue to feel it this week. And, yeah, they're really going to need to regroup going forward because it's not going to get much easier than having an opportunity at home to beat the Eagles. And, yeah, just another loss to the books. Just a brutal Halloween weekend for the Lions. Last game we have here from the early slate, that was a big one. The Pittsburgh Steelers, a 15 to 10 kind of Big Ten style win over the Cleveland Browns as they jumped them in the standings. And they did, both teams did their best to throw this game away. And both the defenses were locked in for the majority of the game. Uh, the Steelers tried to ran, run a fake field goal and have their kicker throw, and he got lit up in a play that was kind of questionable. Um, and, and in the end, the Browns who look to have such a great start to their season are now four and four and they're behind every other team in this division. And it's, it's pretty shocking that, yeah, this AFC North, they've just taken a big bite out of each other. We saw that with the Bengals losing to the jets today. And uh, it's going to be a lot now for Cleveland to climb back. I have them, lined up as my one of my games to look forward to next week they're playing Cincinnati so both teams coming off of bad losses trying to get back with a big divisional win but that it should be a bloodbath between these two teams coming up and then my last preview game for next week I had the Titans the Rams the Bengals the Browns and then I have Green Bay and Kansas City um, obviously the Chiefs not having the season that they'd like to be having 
They still have a big game tomorrow against the New York Giants, which they should win. Uh, but if they win that, then they do have some momentum riding in uh, to take on the red hot Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers, who beat the Arizona Cardinals in a big win for them on Thursday. And they'll have a ton of rest going into that one. So can't wait to preview that one. Should be a fun one. And finish up my football fan cave here with my top fantasy performer. I was on the opposite side of this guy's week. Really painful. Another fantasy loss in the books for me. Michael Carter, the running back from the New York Jets. Obviously a big win for them and a big day. 32.2 fantasy points. Not going to be the biggest fantasy point output of the day, but a great value pickup because he's been average throughout the season. And this was an explosion that if you had him on your team, that most likely is leading to a win for you this week. So shout out to Michael Carter. And that'll be it for my football fan cave. We're going to launch into combat corner. Our first one in a while, but really excited to see what Max has lined up for us here. It's been a minute, but this UFC card was stacked through the roof. Uh, I think with, a pay-per-view this week and a pay-per-view next week. The depth on some of the cards around that have been suffering. Maybe why it's been a minute. Um, but I was really happy to throw this on Saturday with that Abu Dhabi start time, have it on during the day, not have to commit for the 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, long haul watch. And just a couple of fights I want to talk about. Um, the first one, Kamzat Chemaev. There, I've seen nothing like this guy in the five years I've been watching UFC. Uh, Khabib comes close, but even Khabib didn't manage to go through four fights and only get punched once. Um, and this guy's, he, but the certainty in the trash talk and the absolute dominance in the grappling. Um, it's only of that, that sort of status. Uh, I don't know if you heard, heard any about this fight. Mike's or... starting to go. Fuck. UFC 267, really stacked card. A lot of really fun fights. I'm only going to talk about a couple for time reasons. And the first must talk about was Kamzat Chemaev uh, finishing the leech, Li Lang in the first round with a rear naked choke not getting punched once, continuing a trend that puts him at four fights in the octagon, one strike received thus far. Uh, he now has a number next to his name, which took longer than we thought it would this time last year. But back from all those questions about whether he'd ever fight again and looking better than ever, all I can say is get this guy a title shot. I, I'm not saying his next fight has to be for the title, but it should get him very close to that because in a really top stale division, such as welterweight, where you have a champ who's been completely dominant, you want to see someone with the ego, with the unbeaten swagger to come in who is going to have zero fear towards Usman. And I love everything about Kamzat's hyper-aggression, non-stop brutality, search for the finish compared to the way Usman has traditionally been throughout his career, though he does have two early knockout finishes this year and has a pretty good shot of gaining another one against Covington. More on that next episode. But 
everything about Kamzat looks so elite. The grappling, aggression, the ability to adapt to the second, third, fourth move in the wrestling sequence and come out ahead of it. The ground and pound is just merciless when he had Li Zheng Lang on his back and was just raining hammer fests nonstop. I thought he knocked him out right then and there. But Kamzat really owes the leech because the man had zero quit in him, managed to hang in there, uh, prevent any talk about an early bad stoppage, uh, sets him up with so many rear naked choke attempts, and the no quit, just the tenacity of the leech showed off the elite offense of Kamzat. He had to keep adjusting that rear naked choke to find the finish, and he was able to. I think it was the third attempt he got it, uh, left I can't remember if he finished left-handed or he had started left-handed. But, I mean, what else can you say? This guy's for real. I'd love to see him fight Gilbert Burns or Vicente Luque next and um, take a crack at the title after that. I don't see any reason to wait on this guy. Get him into a five-rounder for the belt as soon as possible because he's so exciting and seems like the biggest threat to Usman's reign we've seen in a while. We weren't done with our terrifying uh, Eastern European. I can't quite remember where Kamzat's from, but the elite wrestling stayed in with the shaven heads and long facial hair. You can at least connect. Islam Makashev, two fights later, going through Dan Hooker in very similar fashion. Little heartbreaking for me. I love Hooker as a fighter, but this was all Islam. Took about 40 seconds to find his takedown, in which Hooker did everything humanly possible, showing a lot more aggression than his fight against Chandler, circling well, but just the hook to double leg under uh, double leg takedown too fast, set up too well. And once he got the takedown, he was a fish in water. Maybe a crocodile in water is a better analogy for how quickly he found that Kumura and all she wrote within three minutes. I don't think there's any controversy in saying get Makashev to the title shot. Let him fight the winner of Oliveira Poirier. We know exactly what kind of elite talent we're looking at. With You just have to look into his corner to be reminded. And I just want to see how that style plays out against the guys who are at the very top of the division right now, and that's Poirier and Oliveira. You either have uh, discount Tony Habib if you have Oliveira and Makashev, and you have a chance for redemption for Poirier. So either way, there's going to be a fantastic storyline there. On a nine-fight winning streak, I think Makashev's proven everything he needs to to get his opportunity at the title. And it'd be really cool to see a bit of a longer reign than we saw with Khabib. Lightweight, a division with so many sharks. You need a style like Makashev's to put up five, six title defenses, and that would be such amazing entertainment in the division. Okay, on to the championship fights for this card. First up, we had for the sort of interim, sort of real, bantamweight belt, Piotr Jan versus Corey Sandhagen. And Piotr Jan taking the fight four rounds to one, I think, on across the judges' scorecards. Sandhagen put on a hell of a show and put up what seemed like the best fight he could. Uh, so versatile, such high volume, really great defense in and out. 
used his range excellently and none of it mattered because Jan did what he always does, made his reads early. I don't want to say weathered a storm, but took in some volume, looked absolutely untouched three, four rounds in from all those strikes that seemed that they were landing. And once he brought the pressure, only ever amped it up, never backed down, continued to walk forward. Uh, this guy just looks unbeatable in every one of his fights. It's really hard to consider Aljamain Sterling the proper bantamweight champ over him after he puts up such a convincing win against Santagon like that, showing his skill exactly where it always has been. And after how their earlier fight went, you know the UFC is going to try and unify those belts. Um, it'll be a great storyline if the two make it to the octagon. I feel like there's some doubts on if Sterling, what he's going to do, if he's ever going to make that walk. He knows how the first fight played out better than anyone. And he hasn't really, I haven't seen him be straight up honest about that. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But right now, Piotr Jan seems like the best bantamweight in the world. I don't have much to say about the main event. It was a bit of a tearjerker for me as well. Not a great card for my favorite fighters. Uh, Jan Blahovic losing the belt to go over to Shara via rear naked choke in the second round. Um, Really, I just wanted to take this moment to acknowledge what a different sport, breed of sport MMA is from all these other ones. You can lose your guy on defense in the NBA for a second. And the worst thing that can happen to you is a three-pointer gets drained. You can play some bad D for a second in the NHL. Worst case that happens is a breakaway a chance on your goaltender. Football, baseball, most of these, they all have very recoverable from penalties for two to three seconds of lapseness. Jan Blahovich makes one mistake, goes for a really poorly advised Kimura, and that's it. That's the fight. Gives Glover Teixeira all the advantageous top grappling position he needs to work his way to that rear naked choke and does not mess about. And the 42-year-old earns himself a UFC gold in to conclude or at least put an ending page in a phenomenal MMA career story. Don't know what's next for either of those fighters. A lot of young, scary talent in that division. Magomed and Goliath, who kicked off the main card, one of those names. You've got to feel good for Glover. I hope this isn't the end for Jan. Uh, he knew he spent the entire first round keeping his guard closed because he knew he didn't want to grapple with Glover and then does something like that. Just such a silly move, but that's the sport and that's what you love about it. All right, that's my UFC recap. As I alluded to briefly, really looking forward to next week's UFC pay-per-view as well. So Thursday should have a preview for that. That's going to wrap up our combat corner for now. We're going to move on to basketball storylines. Yeah, and uh, the Toronto Raptors on a win streak. But I think we're going to take this time to talk about another team on a win streak and an early victory victory lap here for Max is as you caught a bit of Heat's Hornet over the weekend. Yeah, the Miami Heat five and one to start their season. Their most recent win, uh, a 
pretty near convincing blowout over the Grizzlies, almost a 30-point spread. Um, but the Heat Hornets, the game before that, one I was able to catch almost all of. Uh, but I just wanted to take a moment in our pod to acknowledge that at 5-1 and one, early in the season, the Miami Heat are looking so elite, and I'm loving that I've got them picked as my number one team. Um, and it was all on display in this Hornets game, how terrifyingly elite their defense is just as a team that's going to stop the ball for a good chunk of time at some point in the game. They're able to open up a 26-point gap in the first half against the Hornets. Uh, and really, a huge part of it is when you have Butler and Bam like in your defense, those two guys can each guard anyone one through five. So whatever the team has their two best scores they can take them out of the equation completely neutralize the pick and roll because they can switch at any time and it presents such a challenge for other teams to deal with uh, it led to so many easy transition points for them against the hornets who did manage to adapt come back started getting their offense in um actually the bench players huge um in sparking a comeback they brought it to within six in the fourth um, but you felt like the heat were kind of coasting a little uh, they'd never had all their big guys in during any of that hornets run and once they did lock in the last six minutes of the fourth um, again i go to butler and bam they were near flawless in the paint uh, the hornets weren't able to do anything both of them just so strong and technical there where we want it um, trying to strafe between talking about this game and painting a bigger picture for this team because that really was my takeaway uh the other thing that really stood out was lowry's vision and his tendency to just move the ball up the court as fast as he can is such a perfect symbiotic relationship with this team and you see him affecting the other players to do it too i caught hero moving the ball in that same fashion earlier leading to some points um but Lowry averaging seven assists a night so far through five, I think, because he missed one game, but right where he left off with the Raptors, essentially stats speaking. But sometimes as the relay passer, I think those really quick passes up the court leading to a, even a little more, um, that seems to be going great for this team. But with the elite defense, with Lowry's playmaking and vision to start the ball for them, with the fact that on any given night, one of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero seem like they're going to be good for at least 25 points, if not more. And the other two aren't going to be too far behind that with the role playing they're going to get from Duncan Robinson, PJ Tucker, Dwayne Dedman. This team looks so elite, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a team that I saw a couple of the clips of the, the ball movement. It's spectacular from them. They love sharing it right now early on in the season. And another team, we've, we've talked about how the new way that the game is being officiated has detracted from the games of certain players. Uh, but for teams like Miami, who play that physical defense, who have a ton of length, uh, who get up in the space of a ball handler, it's really beneficial for them to have this a little, little looser officiating. Um, and it's led to some early season success from them. I, I didn't, I expected them to be a great team. 
I just think they're going to do a little bit more load management as the season goes along, but definitely an exciting start. Bam out of that game against the Pacers to maybe lend something to your point, though they did manage, excuse me, against the Grizzlies, mm. though they did manage to take it by 30, as I said, super deep team. Little uh, little slip there, but you know who we're going to next. Another team benefiting from the looser officiating and a couple instances in both of the games for the Toronto Raptors, the first of which the Orlando Magic. And the story coming into this game, of course, was the number four and number five picks in the 2021 NBA draft, Scotty Barnes and Jalen Suggs. Of course, the Raptors shocking the league a little bit passing on Suggs to take Barnes at four. And so this was a Jalen Suggs revenge game. He did have a good game, uh, 21 points. He had five fouls, uh, but there's a big moment late in that game, building right into what I'm saying. Gary Trent Jr. has been fantastic defensively. We've already talked about it on this podcast, but he digs in, gets a steal on Jalen Suggs, throws it ahead for an OG dunk. Raptors are up 10. Seems like they're well on their way to winning this game due to some great Fred Van Vliet shots in the fourth quarter. Uh, Delano Banton, it's been really fun at, in, in that crunch time five, uh, but then it slips and they give up a three. They give up a three-point play to Wendell Carter. They give up a four-point play to Jalen Suggs and it's a one-point game and OG's three doesn't go. Orlando calls timeout. Ball goes to Cole Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. strips it away again. What a play from him. And as Cole Anthony picked that ball up, I got some major Jeremy Lamb flashbacks from his ridiculous banking overtime buzzer beater to beat the Raptors team that went on to win the championship in 2019, uh, just in a regular season game. I thought Cole Anthony was going to do it to us again. It's been a while since I've had a bit of a heart attack watching basketball because the Raptors weren't that great last season. And I got to say, not my favorite feeling, but that's the rush that you get from sports. So I was glad that it happened. And uh, yeah, some great takeaways from the ski team, two back-to-back wins where the other team had the ball late and they were able to close it out. Uh, really satisfying victory for them. And I don't know, Max, if you have any takeaways from that Orlando game. Yeah, a couple. First, you mentioned Freddie. He was by far the most clutch, biggest Raptor throughout that whole fourth quarter um that kind of the only quarter where he came up but 16 of his 19 points coming there he also had four assists some of which just some spectacular full court play vision from him um i wrote like didn't let the gap get too narrow and obviously a one point win is as narrow a gap as it gets but early in that fourth quarter man cole anthony was giving me chills the whole time he could not miss from deep, it felt like, for a good chunk of that quarter. And um, got to shout out Fred for not letting them catch up too early, despite eventually getting there. And then uh, Gary Trent Jr., our talks going into the season, we're kind of, what's that big five lineup going to look like for us? Um, Fred Van Fleet, OG, Siakam kind of locks. We really hoped Barnes would be a, the fourth guy in there, and he's so far living up to all that. Height, a big question, and part of that search for the fifth guy, but Trent Jr., not a name we really had penciled in. He is right now, and I think it's that defensive hustle. Uh, so he's been showing it all season so far. It's so cool to see it show up in the last play 
him highlight the exact reason he's been penciled in for these big minutes. Exactly. Him and Delano Ben have been the two that unexpected from the start of season, but come in there and they're so disruptive with their length and they keep the ball moving. And specifically with Gary Trent, as we saw in the Indiana game, he can make some tough shots. He is a shot maker, which is great to have late in that game because the Raptors do struggle when it goes to half court offense. Um, yeah. And that kind of feeds into the, the three or two or three major things that I've loved about this Raptors team now on this three game win streak is the competitiveness on the defensive side of the ball, taking ownership, switching so much length. They're in on everything. And the effort showed last night. Uh, I believe it was Barnes winning the jump ball against Mo Bamba and then another tie up and they're chasing it everywhere. And then it seems like they're playing for each other. There is that camaraderie. And I saw Pascal Siakam and Sam Decker, who's like an end of the bench guy. They were hugging, laughing it up in that Orlando Magic game, having a great time. And it looks like Siakam's really engaged compared to where he was last year. He is taking pride in those moments being shown by the youngsters and is really excited for all these guys to take that step, which is excellent to see. And I think we're finally seeing the Nick Nurse effect coming back. He didn't have the same ability to impact winning last season with the amount of changeover in the rotation and the amount of guys coming in and out and obviously having to play in uh, not Toronto, but they're settled in and he's activating some schemes that are really effective. And when you've got a bunch of guys with the length that the Raptors do, it makes them really tough to score on. And uh, that's the way they're going to win a lot of these games. That Indiana-Toronto game, 97-94, to 94, not a typical modern NBA score, but might be a typical Toronto Raptors score for sure. Yeah, the way the season's going for looks like it might be a bit more typical than usual. And uh, the way our team's built, I'm all here for it. Yes, sir. And the last point here, back-to-back nights, Scotty Barnes, 21 points in both those games, uh, and then 9 and 12 rebound performances as well. Like, he's awesome. I love Spit watching right him. In. Oh my God, it's incredible. I love watching him anytime he's on the court. I got my eyes on him. Yeah, I mean, after that number four pick, we were hoping they saw something he might develop into, a place they'd be able to get him at. And I still hope there's like way more room to grow because if there is, based on where he's already at, that's superstar level material. Yeah, the baby Giannis moment against the Magic. You saw that, eh? The three dribbles leading to the slam and transition. Very Giannis-esque, uh, really exciting for his potential. Yeah, I'm so excited about where this team is going. Uh, they've shown they can compete right now, not against top, top talent in the division or in the league yet, but I really like everything I'm seeing on this win streak. Another guy who I was surprised, I looked through our notes, we hadn't given him his flowers yet this season, but another the number three overall pick, another young stud who is just tearing it up on the defensive end is Evan Mobley. And got to watch a bit of him against the cat uh, against the Lakers, pardon me, last uh, this weekend. And he's incredible, man. Like he very easily could be the best player in this draft, the way that he impacts both sides of the floor. He's already so fluid and looks like he's been in the league for quite a few years. Uh, stellar defense. He can switch. He can play the four because they love running this marketing 
Mobley Allen lineup, three seven footers on the floor, which is excellent. Um, and he can defend smaller guys. And then he can also protect the rim for you. He's blocking dunks at the apex at the five. And on the other side, showing off a smooth jumper, uh, being able to rim run, show off some of the perimeter skills. He's been fantastic. And Unfortunately for the Cavaliers, who are having a frisky season to start, um, the Lakers decide to go with the right experimentation in this game. I continue to tell people that the Lakers are off to a slow start, but that's because they're trying, they're purposefully experimenting with different lineups because all of these guys do not care about the regular season at this point. That's the thing with a veteran team. They're just trying to see who's going to fit in where, what guys work in what situations. And they finally go to the LeBron AD plus three shooters lineup with AD at the five. And, and you know, that's probably what's good. It's going to look like come playoffs when they get to the crunch time five because of the afforded the spacing for one. And yeah, just the ability to open it up offensively and Carmelo Anthony with a couple big shots. And then uh, just that spacing for LeBron an AD to go downhill is, is pretty unstoppable. And so as much as you've loved Mobley this season, and he was great, uh, AD is him in a couple of years uh, and more of that evolved version. So interesting to see that dynamic there as the Lakers get a big win. Almost something methodical. And like when you have one of those four digit combo locks, zero, 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 one, zero, 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 two, they'll get there eventually. Yeah, they'll find it. Or at least they'll find something. Who knows if it will be the best lineup or a winning lineup. Yeah, I'm not super high on this team. A win over Cleveland, nothing really to fly your flag too much about right now. So plenty for them still to prove for sure. Yeah. All right, last bit of news here. The Chicago Bulls uh, got off to, are off to an excellent start. Five and one on the season. Uh it looks like their crunch time five is going to be their four big money people, uh, Lonzo, Damar, Zach Levine, Vucevic. And then it looked like Alex Caruso wow. has been taking over in that spot because he plays probably the best defense on this Chicago Bulls team. They've also been getting good bench energy early on this season, but an unfortunate blow early on to a very promising season. Patrick Williams in his second year, number four overall pick last year is done for the season. Um, as he go is about to undergo wrist surgery, that's a huge loss for them because I've already mentioned it three, four, five times already early on in the season that he was going to be their wing stopper as we got along in the season because of his body type and his ability to take on bigger players. Um, so it's a tough blow for them and only serves to reinforce my worries about the Chicago Bulls team being able to defend when it comes to crunch time uh, and losing a guy like that is, is really going to hurt. It's also brutal for development. This would have been a really great season for him to be a part of this roster and experience all that. So I'm sure from the bench, the organization will try and get him to experience as much as he can, but long-term this is brutal as well. So we best, we wish him the best of luck in his recovery as we move on to some talk in hockey and we had three undefeated teams going into the weekend, the Florida Panthers, the Carolina hurricanes and the St. Louis blues. Now I believe all of these teams have lost now, or is Carolina still going? 
They played Arizona at 1 p.m. I'm checking. They, they won that, I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay, yeah. They won so, that 2-1. <laughs> so the Carolina Hurricanes, the only undefeated team in the NHL, though the Florida Panthers still undefeated in regulation as they lost a shootout to the Bruins Saturday night. Yeah. Um, a very two, hot... <clears throat> yeah, two very... teams who did very well in their division last year. Sorry for the interruption. And they're coming out to a flying start. Go ahead, though. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, off to a great start, especially for the Florida Panthers. Um, I know I have them in the playoffs, but not some people saw them regressing as a team, and they're continuing the success, even with Joel Quenville leaving the, the bench for them. So we'll see if that impacts them long-term or if this team is just firing on all cylinders uh, as the season goes along. Yeah, definitely got to be top of the power rankings right now in the league. Um, didn't really see that one coming, though it does make me take a second look at that division where these two teams finished ahead of the eventual Stanley Cup champions. Uh, there was debate about what was the most stacked division last year. Uh, hindsight 2020, it might have been that one. All righty. Uh, and then, of course time to get into our Leafs talk regularly scheduled um not a ton for me this week yeah but it it is already feeling like a bit of a turning point it is going to be a roller coaster you already know that's what we've signed up for the whole season but um a big piece of news that should keep the roller coaster going many many years into the future Morgan Riley eight years 60 million kind of out of nowhere on on Friday and wasn't really expecting it, but that's that's a big deal for the Leafs as it means almost certainly someone is out the door at the end of the season um, with five guys taking up like 55% of the cap for them, which just isn't sustainable. But on a more positive note and not instantly going to tear down the team as many fans wanted to on Twitter, uh, it's a discount. Right. And that was the first thing that you pointed out. Obviously, the term is the longest it can be, but you do get him at that lower AAV than some of these other big name defensemen. And it just gives the team something to look to and say, okay, this guy has given his time and he still he wants to win here and he's committed to doing so. And we've got that out of the way. That was the big question mark hanging over their heads for the next offseason. So now they can just go out there and focus on winning which they did against the Red Wings on Saturday night. Yeah, um, I've got nothing on the game. To Riley quickly, it's just a $2.5 million raise on the 5 mil AAV he had before this. And it's a premium for elite defensemen in the league right now. And I know sometimes you rip on Riley's play style, but he, that's the level of the status he's at. That's what other teams would have paid him. Uh, I wouldn't have been surprised to see a $9 million contract offered to him by some of the teams in the league. So at 7.5, if not a steal, it's at least a great hometown discount to get. Uh, so your point about the five players taking up so much of the cap, it stands and is a problem for the future, but it's good news right now. I don't know what you've got on the Red Wings game. Uh, overall, just just pretty sloppy um, from both teams and uh, just a flurry of goals there in the third period, but a big, big game for the Tavares and Marner line Tavares with three points. 
and Marner getting the monkey off of his back, stealing a pass from the goalie in their own end and just tapping that one into the net. Not pretty, but it gets him on the score sheet, which is big for him. Uh, it still looks like Austin's not having the most fun out there. Even when the other guys are scoring on the team, he's sitting there on the bench like, yeah, good job. But it feels like he needs to start scoring and, and having some great plays to get him going. He doesn't look like he's having that much fun early on the season. A big win for Peter Mrazek to get uh, for this team, now back from injury, which is important. So I think, again, we're building. Keith keeps praising the building, like winning through the process, and they're still working on the process, but you got to take the win, wins as they come, even if they're not the most contributional to the process. Um, but you take what you can get, and it's a big one just to continue to build confidence. And now, hey, you're on a two-game winning streak as you move into a new week and continue to build on that as it goes along. There will be some point in the season where we'll look at a big chunk of how the team has played over time, where they sit relative to the other teams in the playoff picture, and we'll make a realistic assessment of what our hopes and chances are. And until then, it's just about building ourselves up, getting the right juices flowing for the right guys, um, getting the role players exactly where they need to be, and trying to be as above 500 as we can be for that moment and wins like this just contribute towards that so happy there if nothing else that's it yeah for talking hockey uh brief note here game five of the world series gets underway in about 10 minutes the atlanta braves after losing their ace charlie morton to a fractured fibula in game one he actually pitched on that broken fibula for about 10 more pitches to get out of the inning. Pretty impressive stuff uh, from a non-hockey player. Uh, but he is out for the rest of the series, and the Braves still managed to go and steal games three and four, and they won't have him on the mound tonight for the elimination game five, but could be a big time for Atlanta sports uh, as the Braves look to close out the World Series tonight. So we will wish them the best of luck with that. And we will wish everyone the best of luck with their Halloween tonight. Uh, I hope it's safe. I hope it's spooky. I hope it's a blast. And uh, trick or treat. Enjoy the candy. I know I will. Uh, yeah, that's it for me. You had so many great closing words there. I don't need to add anything else. Sports <laughs> Next Door signing out.